in a world, darkness emerges. We are all facing our fears. There is something that lords over all of us. A death that could await us all in this adult blockbuster of a children fantasy novel. We saw The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey, here on Not A Hate Watch. Hello, Alice. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm, I'm doing all right. Good. Um, Sorry, I had watched... some smog caught in the back of my throat there. That's where oh, I went a little oh, bit deep. God. No, no smog in this movie. There was just like an eye at the end. Very, very little mm-hmm. smog. You got you got some smog eye, but that was about it. Oh boy, this yeah. is from 2012. The uh, return to the world of the Lord of the Rings to the cinematic vision of Peter Jackson, who was forced to take over this basically at gunpoint and shoveled millions of dollars to do it, and it uh, it's an interesting film. So Alice. You are the one that had not seen this before. Now, yes. uh, why did this qualify as a not a hate watch for you? What had you been doing to avoid this thus far? I mean, I have seen Lord of the Rings. I, I, I am I am friends with people who love Lord of the Rings, like like obsessively love Lord of the Rings, and I didn't see the I didn't see any of these when they came out, and I kind of actually remembered why I didn't see them. We can talk about that in a, in a bit, but um. Yeah, and so not that not that people were like banging down my door to say, "Hey, Alice, you need to watch the Hobbit movies," because I think um, reactions to these movies were kind of mixed. But at the same time, like I just yeah, just the thought of watching it really kind of did fill me with a certain amount of dread. As as if there was some desolation that would be occurring at some point in your future. Except we never get to that part of it. Yeah, I guess how. F- were you familiar at all with the story of The Hobbit? Okay, so I read the book The Hobbit when I was in high school. I also read the Lord of the Rings books. I didn't remember much about from the books. I know it was about Bilbo, and I knew he ran into Gollum halfway through and gets the ring. But that's pretty much all I remembered. And so, coming into this, well, one... The the opening kind of kind of freaked me out because I was I was so confused why you essentially I think have Martin Freeman maybe it's not Martin Freeman it's, maybe it's the other guy narrating this story to Frodo and then Frodo just shows up and I was like wait what the fuck is Frodo alive <laughs> during this movie what? was Frodo just hanging out when when Bilbo went on this adventure what the fuck and then it was like no that was sixty years later. <laughs> ah yes, and I was here too, waiting the entire time for him to get back. Yeah, it was, uh, and I clocked it because I wanted to make sure the the dress setting of all of that took like fifteen minutes. Yes, like it was like a long time before we get to the oh, why are we doing this whole thing again here? Yeah. Oh, that's right. Let's go back in time to when I was, uh, you know, sixty years younger and yes. played by Martin Freeman, as you pointed out. Yeah. Can I? Can I? Can I just say why is it three hours long? They made three of these fucking things. Why does this one have to be three hours long? Because. New Line wanted it to be. Ugh. I don't. I don't know. There is no reason that this film should be three hours long. Right. There's no reason 
the second film should be three hours long. There's a reason for there to be a third film. There's no reason for there to be a second film. You could take the entire story of The Hobbit yeah. and take those three hours and use it very judiciously, judiciously, Yes. excuse me, to get it done. And they didn't. This was originally going to be two movies. And I think they could have gotten away with two movies. I still don't know what you would do. I mean, the second half would have to be basically, you know, all of the small desolation. You called it that one. The the whole battle of this army stuff, I, I have not seen the third film. I sort of refuse to at this yeah. point because I don't know what it's about and I don't care. Like, that's not the story of The Hobbit that I know from the books. Is it is this just three hours of Tom Bombadil? Like, like you fuckers wanted him. Here he is now. I wish. He's not even in this one. I mean, we get Sylvester McCoy as the, the brown wizard, which uh, I appreciated. We got some some Whovian stuff in there. But yeah, it, it just... Uh, Man, this dragged so hard. There were parts, since I had seen it, there were parts I was jumping ahead through just because I remember I'm like, oh, Mm. God, yeah, we're just here for a while. And it's not the fun stuff. (gasps) Yeah, I I, unfortunately did it. I did not speed through anything. Um, I think I figured out why I didn't see this movie when it came out, which is... There is one woman in this movie, and it's 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 Gladriel, and she's in it for like two minutes, and it's not until like nine. Okay, so ninety minutes in, we we see a woman, and it's a background extra playing a harp when they get to when they get to Rivendell, and then and then Gladriel shows up for like two minutes, and then and then there and that whole scene felt very much like like we talked about kind of um. In the in the game Game of Thrones finale, like like sort of winking at the camera, bunch of that stuff seemed kind of a little a little winking at like oh right because this is a prequel, um I'm mm-hmm. gonna, I'm gonna wink that 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 Gandalf and Galadriel are gonna get up to some hijinks later, um and then yeah and then and then and then no women after that either like literally a woman was on screen for maybe at most three minutes out of this movie I think, and I prefer to consume culture that centers or at least prominently features women so i think that's part of why i didn't see this movie when it came out but like it was rough yeah it's incredibly rough i sorry i'm taking a look here yeah i was gonna say you are correct because i was looking to to confirm when the introduction of make sure i didn't accidentally skip over that section Uh, but yeah evangeline lily appears in the second film but not yeah. at all in the first one nope. yeah so nope. it, 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 it was, is it was it was harp lady harp player and galadriel and then that was it and it was just it was just like all dudes all the time it, and well and and dudes and then dwarf dudes and all of them yes. having names that i uh, so i have my I'll, I'll throw in just my quick history with the hobbit i had a dad who loved I still have a dad who loves Lord of the Rings and loves Tolkien. Uh, wrote a college thesis paper about it when he was uh, uh, young, and so this lives within him. I was a huge fan of the Lord of the Rings films. Will tell you which parts did not happen in the book, but will still appreciate them. Right. Uh, I don't think any of my family that likes Lord of the Rings like loved these series at least to the right. point where we've never really talked about them however wait does I that include the first trilogy no no the first trilogy we definitely talked about a lot i'm talking about just specific i'm sorry just the hobbit uh is okay, what we yeah. never talked about like it never was that where i remember like you know the large impact that the just the films had you know i never read the books but just that omnipresence in there uh, 
for me, The Hobbit was a cartoon that I was uh, shown growing up. I watched the animated version of The Hobbit. And so I, I knew of it as this truly a children's story with that pacing i mean the whole bit with the trolls is funny the riddle part is interesting like it's just enough scary and just enough interesting and the person who played Gollum and the way they drew him in the animated one is freaky like it like Gollum in the films is like you know disturbing but like that thing is not your feel as a child and yes i i uh that was my exposure to it and so seeing this and just the broad scope of it was nothing of what I want from this film. It really, right. it, it, it didn't fit to me as an epic. It's a fun jaunt, is what I think of it. A journey there and back again. Sure. And my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, my understanding was that The Hobbit was more designed for children, or it was it was more meant to be targeting younger readers as compared to, like, Lord of the Rings and The Cimmerillion and all the other back back matter Um and and this movie did not feel like it was. I guess I guess it probably is okay for kids, but I don't know. It did. It didn't feel like it had the tone of a kids movie. But is it? It kids would be bored by this. Yeah. Lord of the Rings is interesting. This is boring. Right. Like I like I I, I don't like how much I don't like this because I do like the Hobbit. So right. it's not that I don't have that buy in, or it's like you know for you, it's not like you don't like Lord of the Rings. You right. have that part too within it. Yeah. But yeah, it just is such a sausage fest. And, it you know, one where I, I do appreciate that a lot of the solutions are tricks and outsmarting people versus it being, eh. like, violence all the time. Sure. You know, all the time. It, you know. But, yeah. Uh, I, yeah. It, you know, it's, again, so as a kid, you have fun with it. I will say, yeah, compared to when we talked about Game of Thrones and, and, and really my feelings, of especially about, like, Return of the King, there wasn't as much, like, sword fighting and, and, and generic guy hits other guy with sword stuff that I kind of get sick of. So I will say that, but it also kind of felt like they, they head out, they run into some orcs, they get caught, they break free, or they run into some trolls, they get caught, they break free. There were some other trolls. They get caught. They break free. It just felt like it just felt like it was repeating. Like like it happened. I think twice before they got to Rivendell, and then it happened again. I, I mean, that is the structure of it. Yeah. You know, it, it, that is the structure for again for for children's fantasy novel. Is that's the terror, you know, just getting caught. Maybe what's going to happen to them? Oh, are they going to yeah. be stew? You know, how do they escape? They escape through barrels. You know, it is like there's not frivolity, but it, it's it's fun ways for them to go and do the next thing. But you're right. It is just especially this one because we don't get to smog, which is I, I am guesstimating again. Not I don't have a copy of the novel and I'm not going to go thumb through to figure it out exactly. Right. I think this first movie covers about two-thirds of the story, at least how I have seen it presented sure. to in, in forms of media. Like the BBC Radio Play does a really good version of it. Uh, I've seen theater production versions, which is very good of it. You know, and the animated film, the read is smoggy toward the very end. Yeah. You know, maybe halfway through. Right. But then the last third is them you know, doing the resolution how they get it, which is eventually you know, uh, spoiler alert for you since you're not gonna watch these last two films, right. I assume. No. So, like, about halfway to more than halfway through is when we have Bard hitting Smog in a hollow spot, and it kills the dragon, because I believe Bilbo is the one who scouts it and sees it. 
And yeah, because yes, he is the one that spots the gap in the armor, which lets him do it. And then they more or less get the Arkenstone, which is the heirloom they've been looking for. They request compensate everyone requests compensation for all the stuff that was burned down, and they're like, initially we're we're not going to do anything, but then they finally say, sure, we're going to help, uh, you know, stave off things on here to get it exchanged and everything. But it causes Bilbo to be like basically kind of shunned toward the end until it's all one, and he gets a little portion for his treasure and he goes back home and he rests on that nest egg and writes a story of his adventures. But, you know, I, I, I to be honest, I never cared about the relationships between the dwarves that much in the story. I like the adventures with them, but the dwarves are like secondary yeah. characters. They weren't the thrust of what I liked about them. I couldn't tell them apart. Like, Outside of, outside of like, the, the one who is, like, the Prince or the King or whatever, who looked so much like Aragorn, it was really distracting. Um, <laughs> right. I kept thinking, like, is he a dwarf? He doesn't look like the other dwarves. That was an interesting choice. Yeah. To say the least, in terms of how mansome they made him compared to the other dwarves. Right, yeah. Who are all supposed to be hairy. You know, they have the quote about dwarf women even being hairy. Right. You know, uh, which got all the nerds to rage Would, when there were non-hairy dwarves in Ring of Power. Oh. Wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't tell from the movie, though. No fucking women. No fucking women dwarves in any... Like, no. six movies. Nope. Like, literally, like, 24 hours of footage. I'm, I'm, I'm just... I was just very frustrated. Yeah. Uh, so why don't you go ahead and give me your play-by-play watching through the film. Sure. Because I, I, my insight is just going to be, I like the story, don't like the film. Right. You're the one that had a new journey yes. here. There and yes. back again. So w- let's go through that. Um. Okay, so I started... I saw the runtime on HBO Max, and I was like, why is this three hours long? What the fuck? Um, I liked... I didn't love the opening. Like I said, it was confusing. Like, oh, they 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 did this frame story just so they could get Elijah Wood in here for like five seconds, and I was very confused about the, the way the timeline worked until they flashed back. Because I had th- I I didn't realize that the older Bilbo was played by someone else. I had thought that was Martin Freeman in like old age makeup, and then I looked it up, and it, it is it is a different actor who is who was the actor in the first three movies. And I think I just said. I just like my memory had stuck Martin Freeman in everywhere, um, and then but then but then yeah. So then you you go back to to Bilbo. Um, Gandalf shows up and says like, "Quit being a bitch." Um, but the dwarves show up and and wreck his place, which rude. And then they all leave, and 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 he's like, "I'm not a bitch. I gotta go." And he and he chases after them. Um, around this point, around this point was about an hour in the movie, and I wrote in my notes, "Are there any women in this movie?" Which no, um, I I did like that at one point one I think that one of the dwarves says they're gonna make way for the hidden valley and I was like oh they're gonna get some ranch dressing hell yeah. <laughs> um, then we get to we get to Rivendell. Um, ninety minutes in, one woman playing harp, first first woman in the movie. Um, I did appreciate um Hugo Weaving as Elrond. Um, always love to see him. Love love, love yes. a Hugo Weaving performance. Um. Mr. Smith. Yes. Um, Galadriel was also there. Um, I don't know. I, I It was exciting that Kate Blanchett was in this movie. But then, like, I kind of knew afterwards that we weren't going to get any more women for the rest of the movie. And I was right. So um, I, I read at one point, this is Dudes Rock the movie, which is like, it's just dudes being dudes. And that's great. Yeah. It's just not for me. Um, it also... I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want like 
visual effects are like a, like an art and visual effects artists are not treated well but at the same time this movie looked bad like i i yeah, don't think it did not look good i don't think the cg aged well it was very clear that for most of it i don't remember this is probably true if you went back and watched the original three but i remember in the original three there being more like sweeping landscape shots of them like hiking up mountains and stuff whereas it felt like every like pretty much anything here was a green screen and a green screen and a set like like uh, the part where they were hiding in the trees, especially, I was just like, "This looks so bad." Yes, I believe that it was notorious that the production on this was super rushed because, um, for Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson had so much time yeah. to prepare. They had a huge visual effects team for practical effects. You know, the handmade armor, all of that kind of stuff yeah. from that. You know, we see all of the behind the scenes of uh, from the first series. For this one, because it was originally supposed to be directed by Guillermo del Toro, that ended up not working out. The studio still wanted to try and get things going because production was in movement. Basically, Peter Jackson was only supposed to produce. They roped him into direct because he didn't have the time to get as much of the practical stuff that they were able to do in the first one. They basically just had to resort to CGI all the time. And I just hear the stories where he'd be on the set just like trying to figure stuff out on the fly as they were just things coming in and being like we'll just have to green screen it later sort of way and and really not being able to put any of the craft or touch that or care even i would say for for the first trilogy so everything you saw on screen reflected that and and i feel bad i feel bad for peter jackson because he was put in a bad situation and put his name on it and had to do three films because the studio just said you're going to he never want he there's so much of the situation he never wanted so i do give him like praise for making the films good enough to to justify him you know doing it in that regard but culturally yeah it's it, it didn't ruin his take on lord of the rings in the in the sense of like how the prequels people were like really touchy about george lucas obviously now revisiting all of that kind of stuff it- um <laughs> But it, in this regard, it wasn't that bad of a right. of a thing where it just it just was a non factor. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember there being a very small, very vocal contingent of people who didn't like the movies because they liked the books. Um, I went to a nerd college. I went to an engineering college, so I was surrounded by nerds. So, so maybe that maybe that's why I, I experienced that. But like, there was like there would be one person in the friend group or someone you would know who was like, I didn't I didn't care for the films. I like I like I like or I like the books. Um. And I feel like the I feel like these movies maybe have soured some people on the whole experience of the of all the movies, but I don't know that anyone came out of it like actively hating Peter Jackson necessarily. Yeah, I I feel like the general consensus that I got from people is what we're kind of getting at here, and what I I guess what I did say earlier, it was just why why are these movies being made the way they are. Why is it – it was such a – in a way that is such a naked cash grab to where the artist had stated what his vision was. That was announced, and it was always going to be two films for about a year. And then midway through, they said, oh, no, it's going to be three. And then Peter Jackson and the team sort of went silent in terms of, like, 
a lot, you know, it just sort of became like one of those things where the people who were in the know and the nerds now that like every single update of every production is online and there's 25, you know, different nerd blogs and YouTubers that are all uploading their takes as the production is happening. So people hate it before it's even made, uh, you know, because of stuff they hear about on set and things like that. It, it, It really was... Uh, that contingent of people were very online, I think, enjoyed it. But it made so much money. All three of them made so much oh, money. Sure. So clearly, the general public liked it enough that it wasn't uh, it wasn't so bad that it tanked the film. Right. You know. So that's the other part of it too is that no matter what the, the online discourse about it was, it still wasn't successful enough in the way that it needed to be. Yeah. Yeah. I I think for the purposes of this, it kind of was all of the things that I didn't I. I thought I wasn't going to like about it and unfortunately it didn't really turn me around on any of the, on any of those aspects um before we break I before we stop I got to talk about Gollum a little bit Andy Circus Oh yes please Andy Circus must be stopped Andy Circus I'm I am sick of that man I am sick of his little voices and his creepy ass characters I found I remember thinking Gollum was kind of disturbing in 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 the first 3 movies or the, the Lord of the Rings movies, I could not handle it. I, I was, like, actively, tr- like, wanting to fast-forward with the parts with him. I just was so uncomfortable for some reason. That's really interesting. I I think Gollum was... And maybe it's just because I like that scene so sure. much. But that was the only part of the film that I was, like, pulled into again. But you're right. It was, I think it was so heightened. And I'm sure there was for... I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. I'm sure Andy Serkis was trying to do things with this performance that most of the other people in this film weren't trying to do with anything. So he was coming into it and brought a lot of intensity, which I'm sure then reflected in the character being a lot more, again, again, disturbing. And in a way where it's like, this is a kid story and you're making this thing, you're right. Like we're in some sort of demented horror film where it's like Barbarian is coming out of the Airbnbs kind of, you know, disturbing. Malignant Malignant has risen off the table and is is coming to get you or something. Yes. A hundred percent. I, yeah, I... I, that was like the one scene I definitely remembered from the book, because specifically because that's how it ties back into Lord of the Rings, especially like like um, um, Bilbo getting the ring. But yeah, I don't know. I just um, oh, there was also the shot where um, I think when when Gollum's fighting him for it, and 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 the ring slips on his finger for the first time. There's that shot of like the cameras, like like he's on the ground, and he's holding his hand up, and the ring kind of slides on his finger. Was there that exact same shot in Lord of the Rings with Frodo? That is the exact right kind of shot, and I, I have to believe, you know, or I don't even have to believe. It clearly is sure. meant to be a yeah. parallel from okay. the first film. And okay, because I, I couldn't done. remember if. That was the thing I was remembering, or if they if that was like a copy of something that happened in the first three movies. And it might be something where they filmed it ever so differently. When I was watching it this time, I, I didn't notice that clearly. But again, I I remember it being similar right. enough that when I saw it for the first time, I'm like, oh, parallels. You know, when the it gets on the finger accidentally, and it's sort of that view of the ring taking the choice to go to this I, person versus them actively. Sure, I didn't of really get him. that. I was reading the I was reading the the wikipedia for for like the hobbit afterwards and there was an extensive section about how like oh the ring decided it wanted to leave Gollum, and that's why it went to frodo and i just felt like i i, I just didn't feel like they, i got that from the movie yeah the movie doesn't communicate that 
very well. That That's my interpretation, right. knowing what you are talking about the, and the fact that, you know, I was I was raised growing up knowing the ring basically has a mind of its own. It's its own entity and it's going to kind of like in horror films, like all of a sudden it takes over and possesses people to do its shit. You if, know? if the ring is so powerful, why did it sit in a river for 2200 years? Why did it sit in a riverbed? <gasps> I have always wondered that question. And the answer I get is just simply it was biding its time. It was waiting until, you know, it could, Sauron yeah. rose again so that he could be brought to him. Because, again, the whole the whole point of the ring was that they were trying to get it back for Sauron. That was the whole fight in, you know, the Lord of the Rings, obviously. So my, that is at least how I can connect it is that it was waiting you know, just until the right, like, aha. And because I know if I go to Bilbo, then, you know, years later, he's going to give it to his nephew, who then will be sent on a journey to bring it back yeah. to me. there and back, but not back again. Haha, because we'll kill him and catch. It was just, it's weird. It's weird and fits into the sort of predestination theology that is in the background of this material just based on Tolkien's own uh, Christianity and the way that he viewed things. Like, you know, that's yes. peppered through this and other things like um, uh, Chronicles of Narnia yeah, and um, stuff like that. I had one thought uh, when they were in the scene of Rivendell where, where Saruman shows up. Um, he, they're talking about like, oh, there's a wizard who is like raising people from the dead. That was Saruman, right? In that was revealed to be Saruman later in the in the in the main three movies. So I think it was. I think the problem is it happened in maybe like the third. Or so it is. My understanding is that is an amalgamation of material taken from the Samarillion, which was the appendix uh, sure. index published after Tolkien was dead. Yes, and so they took that story and merged it in a way so that the necromancer and Sauron or Sauron, yeah, you know, become the same, the same entity. Yes. I... Right. Cause I, I remember, I, I remember Saruman, like it, it's very, it's very like, Oh, he, who, who, who's evil? Oh no, Saruman's evil. He's supposed to be my friend. And then they, then there's the fight with him and, and Gandalf. Um, but anyway, while, while I was watching this, in that scene where they were talking about it, I kind of kept, Thinking of that, I think you should leave meme where, where like like Saruman in a hot dog suit saying, "We're all trying to find the guy who did this." Oh yes, yep, exactly. We all trying to figure out who's been raising the dead. Yeah. Now I'm not saying it's me, but yeah. Would you? What what kind of treasure would have to be underneath a sleeping dragon horde for you to try and risk sneaking in? And getting, you know, tail whacked by it. I don't think there is anything. I guess, like, a loved one I would want to rescue. But that's pretty much it. I can't think of there being, like, a thing that if a... Okay, let's say this. Let's say a dragon comes and sits on top of my house and kicks me out. Dragon can have the fucking house. I'll, I'll, I'll live somewhere else. It's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll make it work. Oh, you know what? You don't really have an option at that point. It's it just yeah. chooses what it does on there. I just started watching House of Dra House of the Dragon. Yes, uh, and uh, I gotta say, smog. 
I think he might get owned by all those dragons. He's too talky. He'd get out on a monologue, yeah. and the other dragons would just screech and go, Rah! and just attack, and he'd be like, what? No, you can't. Ah, ooh, ah, ee, ow. Yeah, the, the body count on the dragons in, in, in Game of Thrones and, and Song Ice and Fire are way higher than, than anything in Lord of the Rings. Now, if you're part of a troop of dwarves that are going around, what would your personality quirk be that sets you apart so that everyone would know you when they're trying to remember you from the other ones? Oh, easy. I, I, I would be Smurfette. I would be the only girl. That's really a great answer. Yeah. D- dwarfette. Yes. Yes. I guess. Don't, don't call me that. <laughs> I won't. No, I'm not. I, I will not call you that. Uh, this is going to be a very short episode relative to the episode length because that's all i have to talk about in terms of it you know we we this unfortunately is a is a tepid like inoffensive five out of ten where you can't get too mad out of it but you can't talk too long about what's good about it because you know what is there yeah i i would say i didn't hate it I wished it was shorter. I wished it had some women. It literally, if I, if one of the dwarves had been a woman, I think I would have had, I would have felt much more strongly about this movie. I don't know that I would have watched the other two, but I would have at least not been kind of resenting my time watching it. But I don't know. Like I, of the things that we've watched for this podcast, I would rather watch this again than like Joker for sure. That's true. There, yeah, there are a lot of films. Well, not because we haven't covered that many, but yeah. there are definitely films. I would watch this over Big Bang Theory. You know, yes. I would watch this over minions but you know uh that actually might be really close at this point because i'd rather reevaluate minions than reevaluate this film one more time this minions might be the more... l- minions has more depth than this is what i'll say that's my hot take here okay alice here's what i'm going to here's you ready for this this shocker wawo wawo this is going to go in the episode big deal big deal the three minions are better than any number of dwarves from this film. Hell yeah, they have way more personality. If if there was a movie where it could be Martin Freeman, <laughs> Ian McKellen, and and please, I gotta get their names again. It's Larry and Fred. No, <laughs> no and Bob. It's it's Kevin Curly Stewart. Curly Joe is one, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's Bimley and Gimley and Zimley and <laughs> Dimley and. Um, oh no, it's God. it's Kevin Stewart and Bob. Kevin's the yes. tall one, Stewart's the one with one eye, and Bob is the one with the heart of a child. Those three. So this is, we're making progress here. You know, in, when we're ranking films, we're eventually going to get minions on that upper tier just by the sheer amount of other shit we're going to have to watch. Yeah. And eventually we'll do, you know, not a hate watch rewatch where I finally rewatch minions later. I wear you gets, down enough. We get a critical evaluation. Well, hey, the sequel's out there. I mean, yeah. we haven't watched The Rise of Gru. That is certainly could be one that's on my list. I'm not opposed to to diving further into the minions. I have already admit, admitted that my my hottish of hot takes was a little too hot for what we're trying to do here. 
But it, you know, they caught me on a wrong day. This film sure. is always going to catch me on the wrong day because it's just it, it's shorten it, shorten it. Like I said, I skip around. I do the D specialized, D extended edition where we just get to the the points and skip all of the the character quote development, which I don't need. I don't need depth from these characters. I need them to go make troll stone and you know knock down a few goblins and then shoot a dragon through the chest with no colbert you know cameos not in this one but the next one oh wait really yeah he plays like a spy and he's like in the shadows so you can't really see his face face but he like listens to something oh. and then he like turns around the corner Everything about this movie feels like it was like 5 years too late. If this movie had come out in like 2008, I think like like closer to Return of the King, I feel like all of this stuff would be relevant and interesting as compared yeah. to like it's like I don't know, it just felt like we're still doing this 10 years later or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, and the second one, it didn't eat like the second one had Stephen Fry in it. And I love Stephen Fry. And I was like, Oh, Stephen baby. I'm so sorry. You're in this. Cause this is, n this is below what you should be doing. Ugh. well, speaking of below what we should be doing, Alice, you're going to make me, I believe, watch a film now. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's my turn to pick for you. And, I want to go. It's not. It's not the exact opposite, but it's about as far as we can get. And so we're gonna watch Josie and the Pussycats. Oh, I'm excited. I, and and I'm just gonna tell you right now. I think you're gonna love it. I really hope you love it. It's a, it's it's it, it it holds up really well, even for the standard of like bad and cheesy teen movies from that time. Um. It's only gotten better with age, honestly. The because there's a lot of um, a lot of it is a lot of it is satire that I think the, the, that mainstream culture was not ready for at the time. And like, and like if you read the like critic reviews uh, at the time, it's like the stuff that they are parodying, which is still relevant today, was just like people were just taking the subtext as text. And I think, um, especially now, we can really appreciate this movie. Um, what, what, why is this on your list? This is on my list because I avoided it growing up for a very dumb, but very homeschooled Christian conservative reason. I thought it was a girl's movie. And mm -hmm. so I didn't want to watch a girl's movie. And also I think I knew that it critically hadn't been that well regarded. Yeah. It was a that, bomb. Yeah. Yeah, that probably was around the time or when I maybe could have seen it on the shelf to be like, what is this film? I could have looked up and seen, oh, yeah, I didn't do that well, you know. And so I, in my mind, it would have been, well, there's nothing in here for me. Now, I've gotten older and realized that critical reviews are not gospel and you can choose to read them and ignore them. Or you can choose to just simply accept them as someone else's opinion and yes. make your own. And a lot of the films that I have loved, The Apple, you know, one of my favorite films, huge bomb. Getting off of my snobbery and just accepting films for what they are has has certainly helped me a lot, a lot in general yeah. when watching these films. And, and I will say, we talked about this a little bit when we watched Pretty Woman. You're definitely going to have some, like, gender feelings watching this movie. I can pretty much guarantee that. Um, the songs are incredible. We can talk more about that. We can talk more about that next week. Um, I'm really excited. I, I've been meaning to rewatch this movie anyway. Um, and so I'm really excited. I, I saw it on your list and I was like, okay, well, this is probably the movie with the most women in it of, of the things on your list. So let's let's just flip the table. Um, 
yeah, let's let's watch Josie and the Pussycats. I'm so excited. Perfect. It should be a wonderful time. And we'll do that next week. But this week, right now, as we have made it back again, as we always say, why was this three hours long? Why is it three hours long? Peter Jackson, you should have blinked for help. We would have come and saved you. I'm I'm so sorry. But also, kind of fuck you for making this three hours long. Three hours!